The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop wondering what the opening joke will be today and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, announcing show number 522 with guests Rob Walling and Mike Tabor, recorded live Wednesday, January 6th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com And by Grape City Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com And now, the man who says, always remember, clones are people too, point oh, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin here with you in New London, Connecticut. Richard Campbell out there in Vancouver, British Columbia. What's up, Mr. Campbell? Howdy, howdy, howdy. Hey, it's cold. It's winter. What do you know about that? What it's almost you know the Olympics. About that. Yeah, you got Olympics in your backyard pretty soon. It's coming up. Well, you know, I'm getting into Silverlight 4 development here cool. and uh, doing out-of-browser elevated permission awesome little uh, program. So let's get into Better Know Framework, and I'll give you some tips. So Better Know Framework today, uh, I'm just going to give you a little tip, and that is how to enable the out-of-browser experience. Okay. Yeah. So you create a new project. You pull up the properties of that project, you know, a new Silverlight application. You pull up the project properties, and down on the Compile tab, there's a checkbox that says enable out of browser, uh, you know, whatever it says. And it's, it's, you'll see it. It's the only thing that says out of browser. I can't remember exactly what it says. It says right something. Now. I'm not going to tell you what it yeah, is, it but says it says out of browser. I'm you. Enable out of browser, running this application out of browser. Okay. Then there's a button for advanced settings. You click that, and there's another checkbox that says require elevated permissions. You check that off too. Now you just go ahead and develop it, and you got your XAML, and you got your your CS file or your VB file or whatever it is you're writing it in, and you run it. You the the default is to host it in a web application, so using Cassini, right? So right. you run it, you press F5, and it runs and everything. 
And then you can right click and instead of just seeing the uh, you know, Microsoft Silverlight option, mm-hmm. you also have an option install this application on this computer. Oh. Yeah. And then you can boom, do that. It'll give you the option to make a desktop shortcut or a link or both. And then it's right there on your browser. And at that point, it runs out of browser. Just like that. Just like that. Next, if you want to run it again, but run it from the out of browser, here's what you do. You, you, you press F5 in Visual Studio. You run it. And you do the same thing. You right-click, except this time it says uninstall. So you get to uninstall the previous version. And then you can right click and reinstall if you want. Now there is a way to check to see if you are installed and you are running out of process to see if there's a new version available and if there is you can update it. And all that stuff is just right in the docs. It's uh very cool, very easy to do. That's awesome. That's it. Sounds like you've been having fun. Oh yeah. Lots of fun. That's cool. So who's yakking at us, Richard? I've got an email from uh, back in the stack a little bit, and it's kudos email. I thought you might appreciate it. Cool. Carl and Richard just finished listening to the show with Arun Kishan. Hmm. I have to say this was by far the best one in a while. I felt like the entire show was like the operating systems class I took back in college. Uh It is good to not have to think about business problems we try to solve all day and every day and think about core stuff. So that was a great show. Keep it up and keep it coming. I think you'd have a room back every few months. He has so much to share, and we all have so much to learn. Yeah. Thanks again from a big fan. That was a great show. It was a great show, and you know, we probably should have a room back. Sure. Or more of those operating system guys. They're smart. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, I mentioned this on the show right before Christmas or New Year's or one of those shows, but mm-hmm. it was uh, my band, Defraggers, entered a contest for Foxwoods Casino. They're... They're picking a new theme song. And uh, it turns out I only got 103 up, you know, thumbs up votes. Right. But here's the thing. They allow thumbs down voting. Uh-oh. So people get their minions together and they not only vote all these people for thumbs up for their guys or their band or whatever, but they thumbs down everybody else. And if you do the math, nobody wins. Right. It's, yeah, kind, of it's a kind of a dumb thing to do. Dumb thing to do. But those are the rules, so... Hey, everybody, go to shrinkster.com slash 1ccc, that's 1ccc, and vote for me. Vote for my band, because, you know, we could have the next theme song at Foxwoods Casino. I think that'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. Yeah, plus we're pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's actually a good theme song. That's the thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's the same John Pizzarelli, you know, the wonder of it all. Yeah. Uh, But we just funk it up a little bit. Cool. Yeah. So do that. Vote for us. Thumbs down for everyone else. Shrinkster.com slash 1CCC. Yeah. Our guests today are Rob Walling and Mike Tabor from the uh, Micropreneur Academy. Rob Walling is a Microsoft MVP in ASP.NET and a 10-year veteran of software entrepreneurship. Rob owns several small technology businesses, including ASP.NET Invoicing, Software.NET Invoice, and niche job website, ApprenticeLinemanJobs.com. Along with Mike Tabor, Rob helps startups and micro ISVs succeed through the Micropreneur Academy, the first online membership community catering to bootstrapped software startups. Rob writes about startups and micro ISVs on his blog, Software by Rob, and lives in Fresno, California. 
Mike Tabor has more than a decade of experience as an entrepreneur. He started his first company during his fourth of 14 years at the Rochester Institute of Technology in upstate New York. 14 years? What's the matter with you, son? <laughs> Since that time, Mike has owned and operated four different companies. In 2003, he began working as a software developer at Pedestal Software. The company was acquired by Altiris for more than $65 million just two years later. He's been self-employed since leaving Altiris in 2005. Today, he works with Rob Walling to help startups and micro-ISVs accomplish their goals through the Micropreneur Academy. In addition to the Academy, he runs two independent companies, Moon River Software and Moon River Consulting. Mike writes about software and startups on his blog at singlefounder.com and lives near Worcester, Massachusetts with his wife, two kids, and a bluefish. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So I went to micropreneur.com and uh, subscribed, and I got access to the Micropreneur Report, which is a 15-page PDF sort of explaining why you guys do what you do. And um, maybe we should just start there. Well, what is this thing, and why do you do it? Yeah, and that, that's a good question. We actually get that quite often. Um, so the Micropreneur Academy, which is, uh, it's, you know, after you get the report, um, later on you get a little more information about uh, signing up for the Micropreneur Academy. And um, the Academy is, is this online learning environment that Mike and I put together. And it's uh, an interactive community. There's forums. Um, there's a bunch of content. And the, the main goal is to get one person or two person startups from nothing to launch. Uh, over the course of you know about four to six months, um, the for, the whole format is anchored on eleven core modules that we've put together, and uh, there's a bunch of content and there's interactivity and it's to get software developers who want to build a product. It's to give them a, a really solid roadmap of you know getting from where they are today to getting their product out the door and then growing it into whatever they want. Essentially, if they want just a you know a small revenue stream to do on the side while they maintain their their full-time job, that's great. Um, if they want to grow it into something more or launch more products, um, we have basically roadmaps for all these, all of these uh, roads because Mike and I have, you know, have done a lot of these things. Now, what's the distinction between your traditional entrepreneur and a micropreneur? Well, a micropreneur is someone with technical skill who wants to launch a product um, but maybe doesn't want to... Well, A, they don't want to launch, uh, you know, a dry cleaner. Like an entrepreneur could be someone who wants to do a car wash or a, or a franchise. Whereas a micropreneur is someone who's more technical and also someone who doesn't want to go down the venture-backed startup route. So, you know, there's even a difference between micropreneurs and, and the whole, everything you read in, in Inc. Magazine and Fast Company. Uh, micropreneurs tend to want to own micro-ISVs, which I'm sure you've heard, the, you know, you've heard the term. Um, which are, you know, the, the startups that tend to stay smaller, to stay either one person or maybe, maybe grow to a few people. Because what we found is that there are a lot of people who have constraints in their lives that won't let them quit their job and pursue the, the startup dream of moving to San Francisco or Boston. Right. And, uh, you know, and work in the, the long weeks. Um, I, as an example, you know, I've had a mortgage for 10 years. I have a three-year-old. I'm married. My wife um, is an academic. And so we've kind of had to live in certain places. And I was never able to pursue the, the startup dreams that I had. And so this is another way to, to own something 
um, that, that's exciting and that's entrepreneurial, that generates some income, um, but, you know, doesn't necessarily require you to, to change the direction of your whole life. Is this really business training for geeks? Essentially, yes. Um, it's very, there's, the majority of the material is, is about marketing and about um, choosing a niche, evaluating a niche, and, uh, you know, getting your product to market. We don't talk very much about the development process itself because we all, I mean, we're all developers, right? I, I'm not going to tell you how to write code. I'm not going to tell you what language to write. There's no, there's no real technical instruction. It's all of the, the stuff aside from that, from actually writing, writing the code. Right, all the other stuff, which uh, I think as tech people, we, we often dismiss as not that big a deal. One thing I got from, I mean, being a micropreneur myself, one thing I got uh, from your document was that it really all comes down to having the right idea at the right time. And that was just like one little line in, in the pep talk, you know, it's like you really, I mean, and that's something you can't teach, you know, you say basically spend a year or more analyzing a market and testing a market before you write one line of code. I find that some of the most successful micropreneurs have been guys who have created markets. You know, they anticipated the market's existence in the future somehow. And, uh, you know, instead of saying, let's look at that market today. I mean, this, this, this world moves so fast. By the time you're looking and analyzing a market, uh, so many people are in it already that it's too, uh, that it's too, too big to crack. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we try to focus in on for the micropreneurs is to try and avoid those things that everybody is going after because they're going to get saturated very, very quickly. And once a market's saturated, you have all these different players and you really need to start growing whatever the business that you have is out to the point that it's no longer really a, a micro ISV. It's no longer just a small venture that you can either run on the side or just run by yourself or with one or two other people. If a company like Microsoft gets into your market, there's really no way for you to fight a company like that. I mean, they just have way too many resources and uh, too many developers on staff, too much uh, sales staff to be able to fight fight them off for a small company. So it really is about finding fairly unique niches or what we'd call long tail stuff, right? It's not not that big of a market. I think in your bio, Rob, you actually uh, you've got a business like this uh, for linesmen. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, frankly, all of I, I own uh, at, at any given time between eight and ten, eight and a dozen small businesses, small product, software products, or websites, and they are all in these very small niches. So, yeah, the the ApprenticeLinemanJobs.com is a niche job website for linemen who are people who work on power lines. They're electricians who who run the big power lines. You know, they run them hundreds of miles. And there's no central locate, or there was no central location for finding jobs for these people. And these these people tend to travel a lot um, because they have to run lines all the way across states. And they tend to have projects like software developers. They tend to have projects that last maybe six months, or right. nine months, and then they end. So they're looking for work fairly consistently. And the existing job boards, I mean, Monster and Hot Jobs, and the big ones are are just a joke compared to. Uh, well, they're just a joke for this niche. For this niche. So, 
yeah, there's there's quite a bit of it, it's fairly easy to rank for this kind of um, this kind of niche because there's not 20 other people. My, I'm not competing with Microsoft with my right. SEO or with my advertising, um, as well as it provides a real a real service. For them. Yeah, you're you're definitely providing value to your set of customers, but this is not hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, it's one typically. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's a, this is a scale thing. Absolutely, absolutely, and it doesn't. You know, this one apprentice lineman jobs would not support me. I can't make enough money even to live on. But that's why I have a number of them. That's why I have eight of them or ten of them. Right. Is that together? This is what I. I mean, this is what I do full time. You know, I don't do consulting anymore. And I don't have a full-time job. I, this is I, I own businesses full-time, and they're together. They all, you know, are able to support a family. In the Micropreneur Academy report, you talk about the myth of blogs. Talk a little bit about that. What's that all about? What I found, and and what I found from from other people whom I've talked with who do a lot of learning from blogs, is that blogs are really good for overviews and for superficial looks at a topic. Um, blogs have, do a good job of telling you what to do, but not how to do it. And so, as an example, you don't, you don't learn to code from a blog, right? If you want to learn to code, you need to A, do it. You need to get experience. And you need to B, read a more detailed look at something typically given in a book or maybe a training program for you know people who go to college or, or go through a technical training. And blogs are exactly the same type of thing for launching a product or, or marketing a product. We all feel like we read these blogs and you get this stroke of insight when you read a post that says, learn from your mistakes, or that says, here's how I marketed my startup. And you think, man, I'm, I'm going to take this and I'm going to go launch a product. But it's just like if you read a post that said, here's how to write software. And it was a you know a thousand word blog post. Like what what can you really yeah. learn from that? Right. There's just not enough info. So that so that's what I call the myth of blogs. Is, is it, it, it? It's not that it's bad information. It's not that it's misleading. But it's just not deep enough. You know. And if you look at at a book that has what books are typically seventy eighty thousand words compared to a blog post, it's just totally different. In the academy, we have tons of of material. I mean, I think we're approaching a hundred thousand words at this point. We have. 40 hours of audio instruction. We have seven, eight hours of screencasts. So, I mean, there's just, it's a whole different, um, it's a whole different level of learning. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com MVC for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. So how does the curriculum of the uh, academy work? Is it actually one, a, a progression? Yes, it is. Um, when you first get into the academy, you're given access to, I think, around a dozen lessons or so. And when you start looking through the lessons, all the lessons are divided up into different modules. And there are 11 different modules that essentially take you through the course of 
look, looking at a niche market, evaluating it, trying to figure out whether it's even a place that you should go. Because one of the things that we look at is you don't necessarily want to go into a market where there is a lot of competition. You don't want to go someplace where there are other people who are already entrenched there and going to make your life difficult. So what we really do is we try to educate people about how to evaluate a market and try and figure out whether it's something that you should even try to go into. One of the things that a lot of developers do is they come up with this idea for this great product and they say, oh, this is a, this is a great product. I, I really think that this has a great shot at success. I've looked at some of the other products out there and they just suck. And then they go out and they spend anywhere from 400 to six hour, 600 hours building this product and then they put it out on the market and it fails miserably and they have no idea why. The problem is that they didn't do the research up front, and there could be two two different reasons for that. One is they didn't know whether or not uh, they should be doing this research, or two, they were doing it wrong, and they were just looking for the wrong things. They were looking at the competitive products themselves and not how well those products were marketed or how well they were entrenched. So we spend a lot of time up front uh, teaching people how to evaluate um, there are different markets, how to measure the demand without spending any money at all, how to test some of your different ideas for you know under $100 or so. And then from there, you make a decision about whether or not you should even go into a market. Because the key piece of knowledge here is that you don't want to go someplace where you're just going to be wasting your time. Um, as I said, anywhere from 400 to 600 hours just to develop the product and spread that out over the course of the year, if you're only working 10 to 15 hours a week, you're talking easily a year worth of effort just to find out that in the end, this product was just not going to fly in the market and you're not going to make anything from it. Yeah, probably worth a few weeks of effort to make sure first. Definitely, definitely. So the modules are broken down. More or less, you've got, as I said, 11 different modules. You've got an introduction, uh, how to build or find the right product, how to take the risk out of buying a product because you can actually go out and you can buy products from other people who have already spent the time and effort developing these products and then they put them out on the market and it doesn't work for one reason or another. And again, you can essentially capitalize on other people's mistakes. You take the software that they've developed, which probably is not terribly wrong, but at the same time doesn't necessarily address the market in the in the way that it needs to in order to be successful. And if they don't have that marketing knowledge and you do, you can capitalize on uh, their knowledge and their experience in that market and then build on that to, to take your product uh, to market faster. Some of the later things that we get into are more advanced methods of traffic generation and then some of the weird things that you don't necessarily read about on blogs or find in books that talk about you know, software piracy, uh, affiliate programs, and things like that. Now, do you guys charge for this? Yes, we do. Initially, there's a seven-day free trial period that you uh, can sign up for, and then after that, it is $47 a month. All right, and, and how many people are involved now? Um, since we, we launched back in April of 2009, and we've had a couple hundred uh, developers sign up since then. Do you have any success stories? Can you give us any concrete reasons why somebody should sign up? Yeah, definitely. We, um, we've had, we actually have an Academy product showcase. Um, it's actually located off of my blog. I didn't include it. Well, it's off of softwarebyrob.com up in the top navigation. Um, there's an Academy showcase. And we have 
what, about a dozen products there that have either, that were either launched shortly before someone signed up for the academy and now they're improving it or they um, have launched it, you know, because of this curriculum and the, and all the interaction in the forums. And, you know, specifically we have um, a product called BidSketch that was launched by a guy named Ruben Gomez and he's doing very well. He's in about his third month uh, after launch and he's, he already acquired his uh, number one competitor and he's, approaching $1,000 a month at this point in uh, recurring revenue. He's moving moving to that very quickly. And he started that with help from the Academy? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, he was. Um, he has a pretty good story to tell. He had tried for about a year to, to launch a product and hadn't been able to get it done. And then he launched, um, I'm sorry, then he spent another six months and was about a quarter of the way on this product and was just having real trouble. And he and I started emailing shortly before I launched the Academy and he was one of the first signups, and he basically, you know, developed the whole thing. Uh, he actually tracked his progress. We have an accountability forum where people post weekly updates of of what they're doing, and he has tracked his whole entire progress in that forum. So you can look back and see when he's talking about, you know, hiring someone to help him write copy and all this stuff, and then he talks about his launch and, and updates us every week with how many people he's signed up and since it's a, a you know it's semi private forum right it's not public on the internet so he posts his actual revenue numbers his actual number of signups his conversion rates um, it's a it's okay. a really intimate detail of his of his progress I see you have lessons here too you release you know, a lesson release schedule what is that you get lessons for your fifty bucks a month yeah so what we do is uh, we have a, a lesson schedule that is uh, posted there and then every month you get access to more lessons. As time goes on, and, t- and typically they're geared more along the lines of for what people either should be doing or most likely working on at that time. So obviously, initially you get some of the introductory lessons about how to evaluate a market, um, how to look at some of the different revenue models that you should be considering for your product, how to price your product, things like that. And then the, as time goes on, you get access to additional uh, lessons, which essentially guide you through the process of taking your product from initial conception to launch. And then once you get to the launch point, which we anticipate for most people would be four to six months out, we also have additional lessons in there for things to do after uh, you've launched your product and things that you might want to consider. It's interesting to me the idea that rather than, you know, we, we come into this with development skills, and so we tend to build the product, but you've found situations where it makes more sense to buy a product? Yeah. Um, that's actually something that I stumbled upon about four or five years ago, and I wound up acquiring kind of my flagship product is .NET Invoice, and I purchased that from the previous developers um, back about, gosh, I think it was 2005, 2006, and they had built this great product, uh, .NET 2.0, and it was Ajax. It was it was really good, but it just it was floundering because they didn't know how to market it. And I had I didn't have a ton of marketing knowledge at the time, but I had enough that I thought I could essentially do better than they than they could. And you know, it turns out I was lucky. I was right. And so that's something that's, that's done really well for me over the years. So how did you make that deal? Like, were they, did you become partners with them? Did you just buy it lock, stock, and barrel for cash? Like, how did that work? Yeah, I just bought it lock, stock, and barrel for cash. So they, it was just, they were happy to make some money back by, by making a sale to you, and then you went on to, to make your money back, essentially. That's right. Now, you'll see this a lot. You know, developers will build a product 
and launch it, and they're not prepared for the amount of support they need to provide, and they, they're not prepared for the amount of time that, that marketing will take. So they launch it thinking that they're going to make several thousand dollars in their first month or something, and they don't, and they're really right. disappointed. I've seen this over and over, and that's exactly where these guys were. These guys were maybe six or eight months after launch, and they were totally fed up with the product, so they were looking to get rid of it. They were happy to get rid of it. And, How did you find them? Yeah, exactly. I, them in particular, I stumbled upon them on SitePoint, which is a site for marketing and, and development, and they were posting on a forum saying, we need help with marketing. And I oh, emailed I them and said, I, I'll market it. I'll buy it, too. You know? Huh. Interesting. So, I mean, this is a, a whole other angle here. Is, you know, it's not like all the folks that, that make products that, that work but are having a tough time selling them really gather anywhere in particular. So finding these deals is interesting. But then making the deal successfully, that's, a, that's another challenge, too. These, these are not normal developer skills you're talking about here, Rob. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they, we do point to, you know, there are several sites where, um, where products are for sale. You have to really dig. Uh, Flippa is one of them, F-L-I-P-P-A.com, and they, they're kind of a big auction website. They're like the eBay of websites, but you'll see some software products come through every once in a while. I've actually bid on uh, uh, several .NET products that have appeared there over the past year or so. So literally, Flippa is a bidding site for apps. That's right. It's a bidding site for websites and apps oh, sometimes get there. Yep. Yep. And so there's a lot of, there's more SaaS apps and every once in a while you'll see some, like a desktop app that'll come through, like a time tracker or something. I mean, there's another angle on this as well, which is if I'm a developer who doesn't want to sell products, but I think I have great product ideas and I like building them, the idea that I would build them and just hand them off to other people to go sell them is, is that could be a business model too. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's just the, it's the difference of the recurring revenue. I mean, you guys are into this recurring revenue model where I have a small stream of sales. It's, like I said, making me maybe $1,000, $2,000 a month. You know, it's better than a kick in the head. But it's, it's you're not going to get wealthy off any one of these things. You get a bunch of these small streams, and they make money. But, you know, this the, there are other approaches. This idea, well, and... Uh, Mike, you got caught in in a major acquisition. I don't know that you were necessarily instrumental in that, but getting your business acquired or have you guys been approached by anybody trying to buy one of your small businesses? Um, I have, um, but it was not a road that I I really went down. Um, and, and it was actually fairly recently, about a month ago, I started looking into that uh, because somebody had just come to me and said, "Hey, would you be interested in in selling off your you know your complete portfolio of technology?" And I started down the road, did, did a little bit of due diligence, and decided against it. But um, you know, that's that's certainly possible. But I think I think that getting into the business of building a product and then selling it off to somebody else to make that recurring revenue is more along the lines of the the VC or angel funded companies because. You can spend, you know, hundreds if not thousands of hours in, uh, on, on building a product. And let's say that, you know, one of the things that we teach in the academy is that you really need to monetize your time and, and set a value on what your time is worth. Right. Because until you do that, you will end up down a rabbit hole doing things that you really have no business doing just because they're a complete waste of time. So, mm-hmm. for example, tracking things in Excel spreadsheets or, or writing up stuff uh, to, to send out to customers. Those are things that you could easily outsource to yeah. somebody else, to a, to a virtual assistant, at you know pennies on the, on the dollar in terms of what your time is worth. 
So that's one of the things that we also teach is that you, you need to monetize your time. And once you do that, let's say that your time is worth, I don't know, $50 an hour. Well, if you spend a 1,000 hours building a, a, a product, you, you know, realistically, your return on that should be $50,000. Well, on, on websites like Flippa and these other ones that we point people to, you're not going to find somebody who's willing to pay $50,000 for the, for the time investment that you've put into building your product. That's really getting into the, the angel and VC investment route, and that's not something that we, and that's not a road that really, we really go down. Although, you know, generally you go down those routes because you need that cash. You know, the, the real question is, if you don't need the money, why would you take the investment in the first place? Can you do this on the side? The challenge is the expense of actually selling it, running the business itself. And, you know, you're monetizing time. So you know that there's time invested in marketing and there's time invested in customer support. Like those things all eat into that time. You spend less time developing and more time operating this, the business. I mean, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you ultimately make that $50 an hour doing your marketing and doing your tech support? You have to get to a point where you have automated a lot of your business processes so that you are making that $50 an hour. The other thing you have to remember is that, as Rob pointed out, not all of these ventures are things that you work on full-time. So you might have a business that you only work on you know, 10 hours a week or even 10 hours a month. Well, if that is bringing in a thousand dollars a month and you've only spent ten hours a month on it, you're you're monetizing your time right there at a hundred dollars an hour. Right. Now, obviously, if you could grow whatever that business is out to the point that you're bringing in thirty thousand dollars a month, that's a completely different story, and you could easily justify spending a lot more time on that. But what you can do is you can take the money that you have. Uh, that you are getting from that particular venture and put it into uh, outsourcing various activities, whether it's uh, some of the marketing aspects of it, uh, writing sales copy, um, fielding customer support calls, those sorts of things. You outsource those. That gives you that time to invest in either building out some more of the code or outsourcing that to other people and then essentially just managing the process because if you can do that, then essentially you become more of a product manager for your portfolio of products and you're essentially outsourcing all the different tasks and you're just plugging in all the different pieces that need to be plugged in. So when you talk about outsourcing, are you talking about hiring individuals on contract or are there organizations out there for these services? Uh, A little of both. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends specifically on what it is that you're looking for and the level of risk that you're willing to undertake. And by level of risk, I mean when you outsource uh, a programming assignment to somebody, I mean, there's, there's obviously a chance that they're going to get halfway through it and just take your money and walk away. And, and right. then you're left with half of an implementation that you, you know, you, you need to get completed somehow. Mm. And if you've completely outsourced that, uh, you know, that, that chunk of work, then it's still got to get done by somebody. If you go with a, a company to have that built, typically a company is not going to walk away from that. If they have a developer who says, I'm out of here, they're going to hand that off to another developer and it's going to get done. But the flip side of that is it's going to cost you more. So you have to make a, a judgment call about whether or not you want to pay more for something and get guaranteed results or take a little bit of a chance and pay somebody less money to be able to get some of those results back. 
But outsourcing development, to me, seems like the last thing you do. And arguably, that's your skill you could develop. I'm thinking more in terms of outsourcing marketing and outsourcing tech support. Yeah, to step in here, I think that it it totally depends on your goals. If you want to develop, if that's your skill, and and that is why you want to launch a product, then you you shouldn't outsource development, right? Um, Outsourcing the marketing and the administration and... uh, you know, a number of other things we absolutely talk about in the academy and, and we have contacts because this is stuff that, you know, both Mike and I do and we have virtual assistants that, that do it for us. Um, now, I also outsource some of my development just because I own so many products. And if you, if someone, if a developer is looking to step away from their job full time and to, you know, over the course of a couple of years, try to build something that allows them to do that, then we would actually encourage that, uh, that the developer maybe maybe not outsource the core coding of their app, but there are things that, that we as developers love to do, right? We love to, to hand code an HTML website, and we love to do graphic design, even though we're not that great at it and maybe not that, that fast. And we love to do our testing because we feel like we're the best people to do it. But these are kind of fringe, fringe tasks that, that can be fairly easily outsourced. And you can get decent quality people to, to do these things for you. They may not be 100% as good as you are. They may be 80%. But if you're monetizing your time, if your time is worth 50 or or $100 an hour, and you can find someone to do this for you know, substantially less than that, um, it, it becomes worth it. And if, if, again, if that's your goal is to, to grow it big, then you are going to have to part with um, some of the things that you want to keep under your control at some point. And this is, you know, you can see this in uh, even some high-profile micropreneurs on the web. There's, I don't know if you guys read Micro ISV on a shoestring, but it's a guy named Patrick McKenzie who had Bingo Card Creator. And it's his one app that sells like $1,500 a month worth of this Bingo Card Creator. Mm. It's a, such a great niche. And he is a phenomenal developer, but he's also a phenomenal marketer. And he outsources a ton of his stuff. He outsources copywriting. Um, he outsources um, design, and a, a number of other things. He, he knows, he's smart enough to know he doesn't do everything himself. And if you look at his end-of-year report for 2009, he made around 125 150 bucks an hour based on the time that he invested. And he's not a member of the Academy. Um, I, he's just you know an acquaintance that I've emailed before, but he's... Uh, a very good example of someone who's who's really taken a, a good approach based on his goals of what he wants to keep. He does all the core development, and he outsources the other the other tasks. Another example you cite in the in the report is a friend of ours, Peter Bloom from PeterBloom.com. That's right. Talk about a hardworking guy. I mean, yep. he writes great controls. He's really he was really good at guerrilla marketing. He did some. Uh, he made some. We had a little partnership going with him uh, for a while. And uh, Scott Hanselman turned me on to his stuff because it was really good. It wasn't because they were buddies. It was because he made really good controls. That's right. Yeah, he works his butt off to make his controls, you know, really good. He's a good friend of mine. He's also an MVP, and we we hang out at the Summit every year. And, um, you know, he... He and I talk, and he said he loves. <laughs> I, he, this is what he does full time, and and he makes you know he makes a a, a good living at it. Yeah, um, really enjoys being you know being an entrepreneur. But there's an interesting distinction in what Peter's doing there that he is a developer selling products to developers. True. So right. I mean, he don't he's probably fairly comfortable with that market because he's in that market yep. as well. Yeah. 
I think it's gets you know you think about Rob, your leap to linesmen. You probably had to pick up a fair bit of domain knowledge about what linesmen need to be able to make that app work. I think it's very difficult to penetrate a market that you're not intimate with personally. I mean, it has been for me. But uh, because I've grown up in this business so long, this is where my business, you know, the software development and .NET in particular now is where it all centers around just because, you know, I have the experience there and I have the the experience gives you insight into what people want. Absolutely. Yeah. Something we talk about a lot is having a warm niche, and it's something that you are familiar with. The warmth is either you are familiar with that market or someone you know who you can reference a lot is familiar. And I'll give you an example. My wife is a psychologist, and she, you know, does therapy in a private practice. And her and a bunch of her psychologist friends all had this need for this, for billing, for a billing application. And the only billing app is a fairly old, clunky you know, $2,000 a year application that runs on your desktop. Um, and they're kind of asking me, why isn't there a web-based thing? You know, I want to do a, a, what they want. It's a SaaS app to do this billing for them. So while I don't personally have that knowledge, I could totally see building a therapist billing application just because I have someone close to me who could tell me what they need for this. And that could be your uncle or your dad, you know, if your dad's a lawyer or my dad's an electrician. I mean, he has ideas for apps as well. You know, the other angle on this is partnerships in general, because it it sounds to me like you're describing very solo one-man businesses with maybe a couple of contractors. Mm. But, you know, the way I've done business this way, I've had two, three, even five partners that all have their different levels of expertise. Do you see that in this type of organization? So far, we haven't really seen it, um, but that's I, I, I wouldn't put it outside of the realm of the possibility of, of people who are in the academy getting together and saying, hey, I'd like to work with you on something. And we do have a forum there for people who want to start working together with, with other uh, academy members on things. If they want to pursue something with another person, if, if per, a particular individual has domain knowledge about something specific and they want to share that with each other, I mean, go nuts. I mean, that's that's kind of what the academy is there for. It's about building a community of people who have similar interests and similar goals, who want to build either side revenue streams or just essentially completely replace their existing revenue stream. Um, and, and I think it's very important to just kind of match up with other people who want to do the same types of things that you do. Um, now, whether that means that, you know, everybody's background is going to be different. I mean, Rob and I happen to share a lot of things in common, but we've also had a, a huge number of different experiences that give us different perspectives about the things that we put together in the academy. And I think that just having somebody else there who you can lean on for, you know, their advice or the, even just their experience is very helpful. Now, let me ask you guys one final question, each of you, starting with you, Mike. What is the number one most important thing that uh, a developer who wants to be a micropreneur needs to do? The number one thing, the very first thing. The very first thing is that you need to set what your goals are. If you don't have goals to shoot for, there's no possible way that you can reach them. If you were to take a, a piece of paper and use it as a blank slate and say, okay, well, how do I get from point A to point B? If you don't know what where point B is, you're just never going to get there. So what you really need to do, the very first thing is to sit down and figure out what your goals are. And be a little more explicit than, I want to make a pile of money. 
Yeah, and uh, to to go along with that, I mean, you know, you can say a pile of money, but that pile of money has to have a dollar amount on it. Right. I mean, you can say it has to be, you know, five hundred thousand one dollar bills or something along those lines. But you also have to put a timeline on it because if you don't set those deadlines as well, that's something else that's just never going to happen. I mean, you can sit there all day and say, "Well, I want to make a million dollars." Well, hmm. when are you going to make a million dollars? Yeah, over and how long? If you don't. Yeah. Exactly. So that would, that's probably the number one thing that I would say that, that people really need to do. And a lot of people just don't do it. Yeah. And even, even the people who do do it don't necessarily know how to get there. And they'll look at it and say, well, this is, yeah, my goal is to make a million dollars by the time I'm, you know, 35 and have that sitting in the bank. But how are you going to actually do it now that you've got that goal down on, uh, down on paper? How do you get there? And some people get uh, para- uh, paralyzed by that very thought. They just don't know what they should do at that point because the the problem is just such a uh, wide domain. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to get there, and you're just saying, I, I don't know what to do at this point. Hmm. How about you, Rob? Advice, number one piece of advice? Yeah, I'd say it's to not underestimate the skills you need to actually launch and support a product. If, if you know, we've been developers. I mean, if you've been a, a developer for five or ten years, you're pretty good at it, right? But the first year or two, you made a ton of mistakes, and it's exactly the same thing. Launching a product, marketing a product, you're going to make the same mistakes. Um, you're going to need a lot of knowledge, and uh, you know, you have to get that from somewhere. Typically, books and places like you know the academy or or other people locally. There are certainly uh, meetup groups you can meet up with people and just to, to learn about the process of launching and marketing a product because it's totally different. The skill set is entirely different from what we learn as as developers. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. The website is micropreneur.com. Uh, good luck with it. And um, thanks for thanks for sharing your thoughts and, and, uh, and sharing your talents with us. Thank you thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Okay. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a